At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. From LinkedIn News, I'm Jesse Hempel, host of the Hello Monday podcast. In my 20s, I knew what career success looked like. In midlife, it's not that simple. Work is changing, we are changing, and there's no guidebook for how to make sense of it. Start your week with the Hello Monday podcast. Listen to Hello Monday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Chicago City Cast with Danny Burke, presented by Bet Rivers. How the hell about it? The Chicago Bulls getting a dub in Milwaukee, holding on for dear life, coming through and tying up the series at one apiece. Who would have thunk it? I certainly didn't think or really bank on the fact I'd be uttering those words at any point throughout the course of this NBA postseason involving the Bulls getting a dub. I mean, Look, we figured, and we, as in myself, and I don't know about you Bulls fans out there, but at least everybody aside from Bulls fans figured this would be a sweep or gentleman sweeping Milwaukee wins in five. But holy cow, the Bulls do it. I don't know how they held on. This is unlike any effort we've seen from this Bulls team before. And man, what a miraculous game. Proud of this team. We'll get into all of it momentarily. We'll preview the upcoming game, game three, which I believe is on Friday. And then we got a Cubs game tonight. Hopefully a favorable matchup for the Cubbies. Taking on the Pirates. Not the most attractive pitching matchup. But it should be some decent weather here in the Windy City. So hopefully you're able to go out to the game. Or just get outside at some point. And then you can watch a Cubbies victory. And still soak in the awesome effort you saw out of these Bulls. So let's get into it folks. The Bulls win 114-110. to 110. Did you have those expectations going into this game? I certainly didn't. I did not at all. I compared this to what happened during the regular season. And of course, it's a different comparison when you're, you know, really considering from the regular season, you have multiple games in between before you see the same team again. But still, it's the familiarity factor. I figured it would be impactful in the sense that the Bulls kept it close in that first regular season game, right? They lost 94 to 90. And Chris Middleton, Drew Holiday, they were playing pretty poorly. Now, granted, Chicago was dealing with some injuries in that game, but they had their chances, and it was because Milwaukee wasn't playing that great. They were turning the ball over. Their two other primary scores weren't coming through, yet Milwaukee still held on. Very reminiscent of what we saw in Game 1 on Easter, okay? A lot of mistakes by the Bucs. Their other primary scores really weren't too big of a factor, not until late at least with Drew Holiday. I mean, Brooke Lopez was coming through and Giannis was just being Giannis. But it's not like Chris Middleton was consistently dominating throughout the course of the whole game. And I'm like, well, that was your chance, Chicago. And it seemed like that was a popular sentiment. That was your chance, Chicago. You had the lead late. You couldn't hold on. And you know what? That felt like any other Bulls game where, they, where they've just been in that same situation. Now, granted, 
against top teams, they really haven't been in that situation to where they've even been up, right? It's just been a complete clobbering, it seems like, in the past. But we have seen them have leads and blow it throughout the course of a season. Now, you took away from that game that, hey, that was really good. You know, you had good adjustments. And even though you didn't win or capitalize off of the mistakes Milwaukee presented, you're happy because at least they kept it close. At least they fought and made adjustments in the second half, which is what you did not see all season and what you were begging and pleading Billy Donovan to have this team do. All right, so then you're like, well, you know, at least they didn't get blown out. Decent effort. But if they were going to win a game, it was that game. And you're looking at game two, spreads at 10. And not that I would lay 10 with Milwaukee, really, in any game ever. You know, I hate laying high spreads. But I'm like, you know what? This would not shock me at all if Milwaukee just runs the table. Because in the games afterward, like in the regular season with the Bucks and the Bulls, after that first close one, then Milwaukee just absolutely dominated. And I'm thinking, all right, Milwaukee, you know, some teams, I, and I don't know if I talked about this already, so forgive me if I'm being repetitive, but this compared me to that Bulls and Pacers series in 2011. The Bulls were great throughout the regular season. They probably were the one seed or the two seed. And you're getting a Pacers team, a team you have familiarity with, a team you probably dominated throughout your regular season series. So you're kind of walking into this game with, I don't know, just not as much urgency, right? You're a little bit lackadaisical, and the Pacers were leading the whole game. The Bulls finally turned it on, came back, and won. That's kind of what the Bucks did in game one because they're good enough to do that and they didn't feel the pressure of having to play down the whole way they know that they can beat any team they know that they could beat that team in front of them and that's kind of the mantra and the mindset I believe that was instilled in Milwaukee now the team like the Bulls who have been getting crushed by them they got nothing to lose in a sense but they know they got to play exceptionally hard to compete with this team. So that's why you saw the effort in game one. And then the big question, well, how do they respond in game two? Did they exhaust everything? Did they really put it all out on the table, still came up short, and they're like, man, I mean, if we can't beat them in that game, what the hell are we doing? They could have sat back and thought that for sure. I think having two days off in between was big. I think the alterations Billy Donovan is utilizing throughout his rotations and just what he's been saying to these guys has been huge. You clearly saw the leadership Caruso, Tristan Thompson, they're putting out there on the floor. You heard that Tristan Thompson pretty much challenged everybody, especially Vooch, to be the best big guy in this series. And look, he's been fantastic. But not only that, you got the Rosen going off for 41 freaking points after he said, yeah, I'm not going to shoot that poorly again. No chance. And man, he didn't. But you figured Milwaukee, you figured their guys, their Chris Middletons would step up and play very well. You figured Drew Holiday would do that. You probably figured Bobby Portis would do Bobby Portis things and Brooke Lopez would still kill you at the end of the game and, oh, they would have Grayson Allen or Pat Connaughton or whoever the hell they want to throw out there hitting threes to come through because this was the game where all the shots you figured were just going to fall for Milwaukee and the Bulls were just going to roll over and just get dominated. At least that's what I thought, and from a lot of people I talked to, and from a lot of people you probably listened to, that was the expectation. Maybe not completely destroyed, but that's just how the NBA goes in these spots. You know the Bulls couldn't compete with big teams. You know the Bucks were a lot better, and that they made it too close in Game 1, so you figured they'd go out there and control the tempo the whole damn game. But that wasn't the case. No, no, no. The Bulls get out to a 9-0 run, and you're like, okay, this is pretty awesome I mean they're not going to hang on to it but it's great and well the Bucks came back but the Bulls held strong that's the biggest thing here folks the resilience from this Bulls team any other game they blow the lead and the first was close and then the second they just kept attacking kept attacking kept hitting their shots I'm like this is going back and forth because the Bucks were matching like every three and I'm like yeah that makes sense but how are the Bulls doing this they haven't been hitting threes this whole season since Lonzo's been out Levine's been missing him, but nope, he hit his. Even Kobe White got involved with one. Vooch again was hitting his threes. I mean, it was spectacular. It really was. And you know that the Bulls have to perform like this to win, right? They got to have their starters hit the shots, and then, of course, the role players. And seldom was were the role players on the Bulls getting this playing time, but they made the most of it. Kobe White had a bad pass. Yeah, that kind of was egregious in the worst time when the Bucks were getting momentum, but overall, not bad. So again, the biggest thing to take away from this game is that, look, the Bucs look sloppy early on. And in the turnover category, it was actually pretty close at the end of the day. 
The Bucs had 15 of them. The Bulls had 13. Bucks got 19 points off of the Bulls' turnovers. Bulls got 13 off of the Bucks' 15. So, look, you know, it wasn't as big as I guess it seemed, but I think it's more severe because you're not accustomed to Milwaukee committing those turnovers, right? You kind of expect that with the Bulls, but not with a championship-caliber team like Milwaukee. So not only was it that, but especially early on, I mean, the, the largest lead was 18 for Chicago. And I had to do a double take. I'm like, oh my God, they're really up this large against the Bucks right now? I didn't expect them to hold on by like 15 plus, but man, it got way too close for comfort. So it was that, it was, it was just that the Bulls were hitting their shots. And my criticism, along with, of course, just the obvious criticism that everybody's thrown on this team, is that they don't have three-point shooters. That they can't knock down those open threes when they have those opportunities. They did that, though. They did that when they needed to. How the hell about Nikola Vucevic coming through with a clutch three at the end of the game? My goodness. Where have you been, buddy? Thank you for playing. You've been great these first two games. I know people were critical about him missing threes in the first game. And yeah, would have been nice to have him make them. But you need other people to come through. DeRozan didn't do squat. Levine didn't do squat in the first game. It was only Vooch and a little bit of Kobe White. So the difference here was that Vooch was still Vooch. Levine hit his shots. He had a quiet 20. But then, of course, DeRozan turned on the fourth quarter switch and said, Nah, I'm still the marvelous DeRozan. I'm still going to dominate in the fourth like I've been doing this season. And I'm not going out in a pathetic, embarrassing shooting performance type of way like game one. He was Mr. Clutch. That layup at the end. They missed two damn obvious foul calls. I mean, first of all, the Bulls to get two rebounds there was incredible. Vooch tapped one out. Caruso got one right into his hand. Caruso, hell of a game. Can't be stated enough how big of a factor he was on both sides of the ball. But they get the two rebounds. And then you see what? Pat Connaughton like pretty much grabbing at DeRozan's neck. Miss call. Blind. Drives to the rack. Giannis bumps him. He fouls. Should have been an and one. Missed a call blind by these refs. I mean, folks, you knew that these officials were going to be bad and they always cater to the superstars, but this game was bad. I mean, in, in the national broadcast, wasn't even showing any of these replays. Like when Caruso had that almost block on Giannis, they called it a foul. Like, what the hell are we doing? Or maybe it was Brooke Lopez. I don't even remember. But a lot of these, they would just not show the replay so we couldn't see if it was validated or not, if it should have actually been a foul. I don't know if they were showing it on the local broadcast because I was watching the national one at my buddy's place and he just had that one turned on. And we're all just, what the hell is going on? And that's what happens with Giannis. Just like that stupid-ass box out call in game one, he was getting similar treatment. And you know it's going to happen in every game, but it's infuriating that you're just not at least giving the Bulls some calls here. Yeah, you're going to get bad calls because Giannis is a big body and you guys are just terrible at that a lot of times, being the refs. But you at least got to give it back. I mean, it was it was terrible. What they missed on DeRozan, it wasn't even close. Like, I see people who are rooting for other teams going, wow, those were some of the two worst missed calls I've seen this season. It, it was blatant. It really was. They need to be held accountable because that was just terrible. I There's not enough adjectives to describe how just pathetic and atrocious that call was as I'm trying to list all the terrible ones I can think of to throw their way. But it, it really was just that bad. But the Bulls still found a way to, hell, to hold on. I mean, despite the refs, despite the momentum, despite the road crowd, which I thought would be more, you know, maybe like 70-30. It seemed like it was like 80-20, maybe even more than that in favor of Milwaukee. But yeah, good stuff from the Bulls all around. Other takeaways, um, so here are some of the stats. Field goal percentage, Bulls shot over 49%. The Bucks shot 46%. Three-point land. Now, it seemed like the Bulls hit a lot more, but really they went 12 of 25. The Bucks outshot them 14 of 36. So more attempts, they shot 39% from three. It just felt like it because when the Bulls did shoot threes, they made the most of it, shooting 48% collectively. Also, they got to the free throw line 15 times, knocked down 14 of them. Levine's always good to miss at least one, and he did. But good job making the most of the free throw line. Ideally, you would have got more calls, but you can't control that. 20 of 31 from the Bucks. Love to see the misses. They out-rebounded you, 45 to 43. Didn't matter. You had seven steals. They had four. Again, 15 to 13 turnovers. They had a couple more than you. Fast break points. They had one more than you. Points in the paint, 46 Milwaukee, 34 Chicago. 
By the way, the fast break points was 7-6 to six in favor of Milwaukee. But you look at these stats, and you're actually kind of like, I don't know. I'm like, you know, it, it didn't seem like it should have been as overwhelming of a Bulls large lead in this game than it, like, actually was in real time. I mean, of course, it ended up a four-point game, so it makes sense. But still, like, these are pretty even stats. It just, if you're looking at this stat sheet, based aside from the fact of just the amount of field goals actually made, you would probably be like, yeah, wouldn't be surprised to see Milwaukee win here. Like, it seemed like it was a lot more advantageous in favor of Chicago while watching, like seeing these turnovers and the three-point chances they capitalized on. But I guess it's not necessarily as reflective in the in the uh, stat sheet as you would think. I mean, again, yeah, you look at the percentages. It's better in field goal and three-point. I get that. But still, I mean, like they had more three-pointers made, Milwaukee. The Bulls had six more field goals overall made. But then, you know, the Bucks made up for it a little bit in the free-throw line, hitting six more than the Bulls. So it, it seemed closer than it was. But, again, I'm just kind of nitpicking here. But, look, it, it is still just tremendous that the Bulls responded the way they did, something we haven't seen all season, something we've been pleading Billy Donovan to instill in these guys, and he's been making great adjustments, putting out great rotations. The thing that was concerning, though, is you really can't give Booch that much of a break. I mean, I think he went out at the end of the third, and then they're like, all right, you got to go back in, buddy, because they were just getting dominated down low. When the Bucks were getting those rebounds off the missed free throws, that was killer. But you brought Booch back in, went okay, Poor guy's going to have to play a lot of minutes this series. And same with DeRozan. You couldn't keep him out. He was in the whole fourth. Same with Vooch. Looking at some of the other stats and the box score. So DeRozan, 16 of 31, 0-2 from deep, 9-9 free throws, 7 rebounds, 4 assists, and the dude drops 41. We hit our bet from rush hour. DeMar DeRozan over 27.5 points. He said he wasn't going to have as crap of a performance as he did in game one. I believed him. We've seen him respond before. I knew he was going to go off. We took him over 27 and a half. The dude was cruising. Ends up with 41. Vooch, 24 points. 13 rebounds. Two assists. One steal from the big man who played 36 minutes. I actually thought he played more. DeRosa played 44 minutes. Levine played 43. Vooch was at 36. But Vooch also went 4 of 8 from deep. 50% from deep. Hell of a job, Vooch. We also cashed in. On Vooch, over 9.5 rebounds, minus 140. He ended up with 13. Most numbers had 10.5. Still would have taken it, and he still would have cashed that for plus money. So we went 2-0 with our prop bets in the Bulls game. Again, I know we didn't have a city cast, but that's why you got to check out Rush Hour, folks. Monday through Friday, 5 to 6 p.m. Central Time. VSIN.com, Marquee Sports Network, YouTube TV, Fubo TV, Sling TV, the Xfinity app, wherever you get your podcasts, iHeartRadio, you know the drill, folks. Uh, Caruso, 10 assists, 9 points, almost a double-double. Playoff career-high 10 assists for Caruso. That man was dropping dimes left and right. Two steals, two blocks. He was getting it done on both ends of the floor. The guy's a natural leader out there. He's literally guarding Giannis, and he's giving Giannis a fuss. You know, the difference in him is incredible. It's what, at least probably like maybe 7 inches, maybe even more than that. Maybe like 9 I, it's outstanding how Caruso's playing out there. 38 minutes, biggest game is in his Bulls career, and he played amazingly. Hit a three when it mattered. Hit three of them, actually. Or, excuse me. Yeah, he hit three of them. And most importantly is what he was doing defensively, taking those charges, just doing the dirty work. That's why you bring on a guy like Caruso. Fantastic. That's a trio that came through. What Vooch... DeRozan and Caruso were able to do is the reason the Bulls won this game. That trio, I don't know. They just did everything you needed them to do. They responded and answered the call anytime the Bulls needed it. When their backs were against the wall, when they were close to faltering, when you saw Milwaukee about to flip that switch, that trio held you on. DeRozan kept making tough shots. Vooch kept getting nice boards when he needed it. He kept getting open looks and knocking it down. He wasn't missing as many threes in the fourth quarter. He hit a clutch one. And, of course, Caruso was dishing out dimes, grabbing rebounds, the offensive board, and hitting a couple threes himself. Now, I don't want to diminish what Levine did. 
because he actually had a really solid night. 7 of 13, 3 of 4 from deep, 3 of 4 from the charity stripe. One rebound, three assists. You want to see that ramped up a little bit. But he did get 20 points. He was plus four. So Levine, like, he wasn't taking a lot of shots, but he was going quality over quantity in this game. I, I did want to see Levine a little bit more active in the fourth. I think the play where, that same play where there's a two offensive rebounds, I thought Vooch was going to swing it to Levine, and Levine had an open shot, didn't happen, but that would have been a spot you want to see Levine be more involved. And I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing in what he did because he wasn't taking any egregious shots, right? He wasn't a liability. And he was playing really good defense, too. Like, Levine did great. It's just, again, you don't want to only have to rely on DeRozan in the fourth. And I know Vooch did a large part to help. But, again, this is typically where you'd want Levine to step up and you could trade off. But, again, it was enough to get the win. Man, Patrick Williams had some good looks from three. That could have been huge. Ended up 0-2 from three. 5-9 on the floor. 10 points, 9 rebounds, 3 assists, 1 steal, 1 block. So again, Patrick Williams with a really good effort. Got to keep him in the starting lineup, no question. You got 14 minutes out of Javante Green. 5 rebounds, 2 points. Derek Jones Jr. had some good efforts out there, even though he played only 8 minutes. 3 points on 1-3 that he knocked down. Tristan Thompson, um, 3 rebounds. In seven minutes, yeah, you just need him to get a filler for uh, for Vooch every now and then. Let him be a tough, gritty guy. And then he got Kobe White. I mean, one three hit, two free throw attempts, knocked him down, two assists, two turnovers, though not great, just five points in ten minutes, one of five from the floor. So, look, it's like one of those things, Kobe, I, you're going to get a small sample size, but you got to make the most of when you're out there. You can have those ill-advised turnovers, but you do got to keep hitting those open threes when you get them. And he did when he had the opportunity. Seems weird only seeing Desumu in small sample sizes. I mean, seven minutes, 0 of 1 from the floor, two rebounds, one assist, no points. So, I mean, Desumu, I kind of thought, you know, he'd be a little bit more factor defensively. But, hey, Billy feels good with trusting his core right now. I mean, it's all or nothing, right? You couldn't really do this in the regular season because it's such a long journey to go through. You'll kill your guys. You'll tire them out. Well, you need that desperation mode now in the postseason. Giannis got 33. Middleton was bouncing back, ended up with 18. And look, I know some Bulls fans are going to be like, er, and have said, oh, the only way the Bulls will win is someone gets an injury. And let's be, come on. You don't want to beat the Bucs when they don't have their full team. I know the Bulls don't have Lonzo, but that doesn't mean that you celebrate or you're happy about anything that happened with Middleton. It's a bummer. It stinks. It really is. Looks like he sprained his MCL. So, presumably, I mean, I don't know the exact timetable, I guess, but uh, he's going to be out for a decent amount of time. And, of course, that's going to make a substantial difference in this series. Now, I was trying to see if there's any news on him in terms of when he could maybe return, but I guess the news is he's scheduled to undergo an MRI today, and that's going to determine the severity of the injury and give the team more information about a timeline for his return. But again, don't be celebrating that. It's a bummer. It stinks. You never want to beat a team when they're down like that. You want their full strength, but that is significant news we have to address, and that is going to bake into the line. That's going to be a huge alteration, right? That's going to change a lot of things. More on that in a second. Bulls have no answer for Brooke Lopez. I mean, they're making him look like a Hall of Famer, for goodness sake. Uh, 25 points, 9 to 16 from the floor, 3 to 6 from deep. Unbelievable. They're making him look like he's in his prime. He's playing like it. Drew Holiday, 15 points. Thought he would respond a little more. He ended up staying under 18 and a half, which was his points prop. And we also have to be cognizant of the fact that Bobby Portis only played six minutes after Tristan Thompson came down and bloodied his eye with the... With the elbow, it was unintentional, you know, let's be honest. But uh, two points from Portis, I guess he tried to come out at half, didn't do it. He'll be back for game three. But that was definitely a huge difference for the Bucks as well. Maybe not snagging a lot of these rebounds and just getting those extra three-point attempts and mid-range opportunities. So, um, yeah, you kind of you kind of realized the Bulls did great things in that game. But Milwaukee was really playing hurt toward the end. And even with Portis out in the beginning. Don't want to make excuses. It was still a great one for Chicago, and this is a team that's been missing Lonzo Ball. I thought Pat Connaughton was going to be a bigger deal for this team, and it's still completely early, but he only went one of six from three. All the shots from three only got three points. Grayson Allen, only three points. 
that's the thing. Like these role players, you limited. Connaughton, Allen, Carter, they didn't kill you anywhere. Usually they're hitting threes against you. Bobby Portis didn't do squat because he was injured. But those are the type of guys that typically murder the Bulls. Wesley Matthews hit three threes, 11 points. Yeah, not bad. But if you're the Bucks, is that who you want in your final lineup? Probably not. But this depth that Milwaukee has presented just got a little more thin. I don't know. This this changes things, folks. I mean, Drew Holiday has to step up through the Bucks. Bobby Portis will. Brooke Lopez will keep doing it. Giannis will. But now if Chris Middleton's going to be gone for a considerable amount of time, what do the Bucs do? I mean, how does this change your outlook on the series? You can already see the impact for Game 3. This line has opened anywhere from Milwaukee minus 3.5 to Milwaukee just minus 1.5 going to the UC. I don't want to overreact, but I think the line is a little bit overinflated. I really do. I want the Bulls to win. I love the Bulls. But would I be running to bet Chicago now? At Bet Rivers, they're plus 108 on the money line. Milwaukee's minus 130. Again, remember the spread, one and a half in favor of the Bucks. Total keeps dipping now, 223 and a half. How about the total in that game, right? It was like 225, and they gave Grace and Allen those free throws at the end. Like, dude, just call the game. Luckily, he missed one. If you're sweating out the under, and if you're looking for a push on 225, sorry, but the refs tried to gift it to you. But man, so this thing is almost a pick right now. I would never have envisioned that in this series. No chance. It's going to be rowdy in the United Center. Friday night, electric. Unfortunately, I'll be out in Houston for a wedding. Otherwise, I would have loved to try to make a game. And maybe they'll come back for game six and I'll be able to catch it. But who do you trust more in this game? If you told me you're betting the Bulls, I wouldn't completely disagree with you, but I would tell you to be a little cautious. Settle down, really reevaluate things, and then consider who to bet. Because yes, I am shocked that the Bulls still responded in Game 2 based on what happened in Game 1. That caught me off guard and that impressed me. Typically a team like that, after that Game 1 effort in a series in which they were such a big underdog to begin with, typically falls in that Game 2 spot. But they didn't. They responded and not only did they respond, they won. So yeah, the Bulls are legit right now. Because of that, and I know it's a bummer, but let's be honest, because of Middleton being out. Now, Bobby Portis being back is going to be huge for Milwaukee. We can't, we can't overlook that. He's going to be in the game, and that's going to make a difference. And you also have to question, hey, the Bulls literally just played the hardest basketball this whole season. One day off, you think they'll be ready to respond tomorrow? Well, it's going to help that they got the whole crowd behind them at the UC, but it's going to be tough. So one and a half is what Milwaukee's laying, minus 130 on the money line. Again, total at 223 and a half, but leave it open 224, so a little bit of momentum toward the under. Let's get you an update now on the series price. Okay, well, let me see. I'm looking at bet. Okay, so they don't have the series price exactly right now, so you could bet the exact uh, the spread or the total games played in the series. So here I am, at least. Looking dumb right now. Of course, it's hindsight. But we took under five and a half games played in this series. Minus 177. Well, folks, you can make the same bet and get plus 240. So if you were kind of hesitant about it before, hey, maybe now's your chance. But no, I mean, look, obviously at this point, I, I don't like the idea of sitting on that ticket. And hey, maybe I could consider it a happiness hedge, right? I mean, if the Bucks get it, I win. If the Bulls... You know, get over it. Well, they made the series competitive. The nightmare scenario that we talked about, of course, would be the Bulls getting this series to six or seven games and losing. That would be the worst case scenario, of course, which honestly is probably going to happen. Maybe not them losing, but definitely going over five and a half games. I found myself last night because, again, you know, a lot of times I'll be objective and I'll root for my bets, but... I love the Bulls, man. I want to see the Bulls be victorious. I want to see them win a championship. I love this team so much, and I have since I can remember growing up as a kid pretty much as much as I've been a dire Cubs fan. And if you don't understand the comparison, well, my whole room growing up was painted Wrigley Field. I was crying after they would lose any playoff game. 
damn near did during the Derrick Rose days. So I'm just as passionate as the next guy, if not even more so times 100. I mean, like, look, I, I am incredibly diehard with this team. So at the end of the day, you know, yeah, I try to be objective and want to win these bets. And I did. It's not like I just did that bet to do it. I genuinely thought that was a solid play. And, you know, we had our analysis behind it in terms of why it was a better value versus other ones. And pretty much everybody else and their grandmother had similar bets, being the Bucks to win in a sweep or in five. No one saw this coming in back-to-back games from the Bulls, really, except for the true diehards, I guess, if you want to put it. But come on, if you're actually being realistic, you saw how the Bulls had done against the Bucks and against top teams and what happened in Game 1. You didn't think this would happen, let's be honest. But you can bet the total games played in the series now at Bet Rivers under 5.5 at plus 240. You can do under 6.5 at minus 205. Or do you think the series goes to seven games over six and a half games played as plus 155 over five and a half games minus 335. Now, also, how about the spread on the series outcome? So this is just, of course, with the spread. So you could do like Bulls plus two and a half, for example, and that's just what the final result of the series score is. So if the Bucks win in five, that's four to one for Milwaukee, right? And they would cover that two in the hook and the Bulls would not. But right now, the Bulls covering that two in the hook plus two and a half is minus five dollars. The Bucks laying two and a half is plus three thirty. Now, let me tell you some folks. This is a little bit tricky now, but before the series, it was clear to see it. Now it's different because of the injuries and because of the momentum. But I was saying, hey, do under five and a half games as opposed to the Bucks laying two and a half because the Bucks laying two and a half means they'd have to sweep or win in five. And if the series is going to be in a sweep or end in five, meaning the total games played in the series under five and a half hits, it's going to be because of the Bucks. Because now you can get the Bucks minus two and a half plus 330 or total games played in this series under five and a half plus 240. Before, it was like a $0.09 line difference, and of course, now you're getting what? Like a $0.90 line difference. Because, of course, well, the Bulls could win in five. Who knows? They're not even giving you the Bulls minus 2.5. These are the other options. You just got uh, Milwaukee minus 1.5 plus 115, meaning they have to win in six or five. The Bulls catching one in that hook is minus 150. The Bulls minus one and a half is plus 330, and the Bucks plus one and a half is minus $5. So those are the opportunities you can seek out for the spread on the series outcome. All right? So, again, if you're betting Bulls minus one and a half, that's you saying that you think the Bulls are going to win in five or they're going to win in six. Okay? And if you're doing the Bucks minus one and a half, you're thinking that, hey, the Bucks win in five or they win in six. Not win in seven, because that's only one. That's four to three. Okay. But you could do the Bulls plus one and a half minus 150, saying, hey, you know what? This game could, or the, excuse me, this series could end in seven games. I would cash. And if it ends in six games, hopefully the Bulls are winning it. So there's options you could take. I'm probably not going to do any of them with the series because it's not the greatest value, but that's where you could look at the exactest, folks. You can bet exactly the Bucks to win in seven, plus 240. The Bucks to win in six is plus 275. The Bucks to win in five now is plus 330. The Bulls to win in six is five to one. The Bulls to win in seven is plus 750. And the Bulls to win in five is 13 to one. So here's the thing. You can really configure which bet is the better one based on the value and based on your thought process. So here's the deal. Like if you think the Bucks are going to still win in five or the Bucks to win in six. Now, of course, you can bet the Bucks on the series spread minus one and a half at plus 115. Or you could consider the exact prices, meaning the series correct score. By the way, Bet Rivers NBA Series Market tab is where you could find all this. So you could do the series spread. So in this example, let's say we're investing $100 on each of these bets. So the Bucks to cover one and a half on the series spread, meaning they have to win the series in five or they have to win it in six at this point is plus 115. So you bet 100 to win 115. Awesome. All right, or you could do the exact prices. You could bet the Bucks to win four to one, which would be to win in five at plus three thirty, 
and tag that along with the Bucks to win in six at plus 275. So again, if you're doing the series spread, Bucks minus one and a half, 100 to win 115. Okay, cool. Got it. Or you could do the exact prices. The Bucks to win in five at plus 330, that's 100 to win 330. And then you also tag that along with the Bucks to win in six at plus 275, that's 100 to win 275. Now, if the Bucks do win in five or they win in six and you do the exactas, let's say for this example, they win in five. So it's 100 to win 330. Awesome, you won 330 bucks, but you also invested in the Bucks to win in six. So minus $100. The Bucks to win in five at that point would be a profit of $230. Okay, so that's more than them covering the spread of 100 to win 115. Now, what if they win in six, which seems to be a more likely outcome? That would be that plus 275 for the exacta, 100 to win 275. But then you subtract the 100 that you invested in the Bucks to win in five, and then that would be 100 to win 175 at that point. So you're still winning more than doing the spread series outcome of the 100 to win 115. It it may sound confusing how I'm saying it, but basically, if you have an idea of how you believe this series is going to conclude, just because you would think that these bets are the same and that they would be priced the same doesn't mean that they are. I'm telling you, these books have errors and it's not calculated that way sometimes. And that's where you have the advantage because, you know, these books can set a certain price. And, yeah, they may leave it open because, hey, technically the Bulls could win or technically the Bucks could win. But, nah, you're thinking one way versus the other. Then look for the better value play, which would be the series correct score. And you can bet on multiple and still get a better payout than just doing the spread series outcome. Now, of course, if it doesn't come through, then you would stand to lose more. But if you have enough hubris behind your pick selection, then you can be okay with that. At least that's how I would look at it from a personal standpoint. But right now I'm torn, folks, because I got that under five and a half play. I am not doing anything right now. I'm just offering you the possibilities. Because you could also think the same thing, right? You could look and go, all right, I actually think the Bulls win this series. You could think that, right? You could do the spread on the series outcome. The Bulls minus one and a half at plus 330. Again, meaning they'd have to win in five or six. But if you're already betting that, you could also do the exact prices for the Bulls to win in five is 13 to one and the Bulls to win in six is five to one. So in the spread, it'd be 100 to win 330. Cool. But if you're doing the exactas, the Bulls to win in six is five to one. So you minus 100, you'd win 400 bucks if they win in six because you're also investing for the Bulls to win in five, but you would win more. Or you could bet the Bulls to win in five at 13 to one, you lose, you know, then okay, cool. You get $1,200. Not too shabby. Okay, so I'm telling you, if you have enough confidence in one team versus the other, do the series correct score. Don't be afraid to do multiple bets. Just two is your max and give yourself a little bit of leeway and then go attack it with that bet because it's a better payout. Now, I'm not telling you you have to do this or should do it. I'm saying if you have enough confidence, that's where you are going to get the better value. Right now, I'm not uber confident that the Bucks are going to win in five or six. I'm not feeling the same way about the Bulls necessarily, but <laughs> at the same time, folks, I'm not, you know, sitting here going, it's for sure going to seven. It probably ends in six, you know? And again, at that point too, you could bet also, I suppose the Bucks to win in six or the Bulls to win in six. I don't know, man, because you got to see what the availability of Chris Middleton is. In my fear, just like in game two, even though they had a good performance in the previous game, which was my thought process going into game two, hey, the Bulls did well in game one, not well enough. Now they'll get stomped out. My fear is that with only a day off in between, Milwaukee being pissed, them playing with a more, more of a chip on their shoulder because of the absence of Chris Middleton, don't fall completely for it because it's a fallen star fallacy, right? A top guy goes out, a coach leaves, whatever it is, it sparks momentum in a team. And that team, a lot of times, comes out to win, even though the public's like, no, they can't win without X player or X coach. But they do. In that immediate game, they find a way. But if you follow the Bulls on Twitter, I saw a great clip, all right? They're in the locker room after, and Caruso interjected when Billy Donovan was speaking. He's like, hey, it's human nature, right? It goes back and forth. We lost and we won. They lost. Now they're going to be thinking to win here because they got the underdog mentality. They're going to be hungrier. 
Great point. Again, Caruso being a leader, being an absolute stud out there. But he's right. So that's why I'm fearful here to trust the Bulls because I don't want to get my hopes up. Don't want to get my heart full and open to inevitably have it be broken. That's me as a Bulls fan and a Chicago sports fan. And that's probably how all of you are thinking as well. But if I really had to play this, I'd probably, you know, again, I, I guess if you're if you're sitting out there as a Bulls fan, but again, you're kind of like me, you're like, you know, at this point, yeah, they could win it. But I, I just, I've seen this story before and it's still Giannis. But I think the Bulls can keep it close. Then I would, if I were you, I would do the Bulls plus one and a half at minus 150. That's what I would do if I were you. If you're in this situation where you love the Bulls, you think they got great momentum, but you're still a little hesitant, maybe pessimistic when it comes to being a Bulls fan. But you're like, there's a small part of you that says, hey, they could win this thing or keep it close, and I want to be a part of it. The Bulls plus one and a half on the series spread isn't a bad idea. Not terrible. So basically, this is betting on the fact that the Bulls either win this series or it goes to seven and they lose. They can't lose in six. They can't lose in five. Now, it's minus 150, so it's not too attractive. So I get it. And and I'm not saying I would take it because I'm not so confident the series goes to seven games. I'm thinking maybe more six, depending on whoever wins. Because the issue here is the Bulls need to get this win. And if they don't, then you're asking a lot from a team. Yes, even though you're on home court, the Bulls aren't as deep in, as Milwaukee. And you can't rely on them to hit that many shots like they did in Game 2. I mean, you should be able to rely on them to do that. But that just hasn't been the case over the large sample size of this season, right? So to bank on that happening again is a tall order. I'm not saying it can't happen. I'm just saying I'm not rushing to invest financially that it will. But there's a lot of options you can do with this series now. I'm I'm kind of torn. I think you just got to see what happens. I think you just take it game by game right now. Unless, again, you're very confident in one team or the other. If I'm being completely objective, I would probably look to bet the series correct score, meaning the exact of bets, with the Bucks to win in six would probably be my my way to do it. Although, you know, plus 275 is not incredibly attractive. If you want some value, maybe bet the Bulls to win in six at five to one or the Bulls to win in seven. I don't know, guys. It's exciting right now. But again, don't don't overreact too much. It's the biggest thing. That's it's something that always kills betters. And it kills us specifically in the football season. Recency bias will destroy you. Monday morning quarterback, all of those things. Just because the Bulls won that game and Middleton may be out doesn't mean you throw everything on the Bulls here. Yeah, they probably do have the advantage now because of the absence of Middleton, the momentum they got from last game, and going back to the UC. I understand all of that. But the Bucks are going to be insanely pissed. They're going to be inspired to play even tougher. And they're going to have the chip on their shoulder, as Alex Caruso stated, paraphrasing at least, in the locker room on that video the, the Bulls account tweeted out. It was great, though. Check it out. I mean, it was fun. It gets you hyped up. But the Bulls will know this. How will they respond? It seems weird after a win. We're thinking like, oh man, I'm you know I'm nervous right now, right? Like, how are they going to respond? It should be the other way. But that's a difference between a team that's won a championship and a team that you had no faith to compete in this series with. But I'm excited. Unfortunately, I'm going to be on the plane during the game. I think. So I might have to buy Wi-Fi or do something. I don't know. But I got to get a hold of this game. Someone's going to have to send me updates. I'm excited though. I'll be rooting for him. I'm a root for him more than I'm a root for my Bucks bet. And I'm sorry if you're like, Danny, well, screw you. I'm losing on that. I apologize. You know, I didn't expect the Bulls to do this, and he can't handicap Chris Middleton getting injured. And look, the Bucks, of course, could still go out there and steamroll and cash the bet. I'm just saying, now that I've already been invested in that, and my whole life I've been invested as a Bulls fan, I'm just going to sit back and let whatever happens happen. And if we get to an opportunity to say, hey, maybe the Bucks win this game, they win that other game. So let's say they're up three to one, right? And they could win us the total games under five and a half series bet. Well, folks, we could probably hedge on the Bulls then. Well, we could definitely hedge on the Bulls then. Because realistically, facing elimination, the Bulls will be an underdog and you'll get a better price to hedge your total games under five and a half in the series bet. 
because at that point to cash it, it'll be a Milwaukee money line ticket versus a Bulls money line ticket. So you can hedge your under five and a half games if you followed me with a Bulls money line play. Again, that's the beauty of the different outs that you have in these series betting prices. And we potentially could get that offered to us with this Bucks and Bulls series. But let me know how you're betting it from now on. Let me know what your confidence level is at with the Bulls. They played a hell of a game. Shout out to Vooch, Caruso, and DeRozan. We had a great night betting them with our plays from Rush Hour. Excited for Friday at Danny Burke 5. Let me know how you're playing it. Let me know where your confidence level is at. Man, hell of a game by the Bulls. Proud of those guys. They responded when they needed to. They held on in a tough environment. That's what gives you a little bit of hope for this game. Can't stress enough how proud that made me to be a Bulls fan this year after everybody doubted them, including myself. And even beyond that, I was at the top of the list. Don't get me wrong. But that was great. And that's the team we've been waiting to see, baby. You love it. Hopefully they can replicate that on Friday. Alrighty, coming up next here, we're going to do a quick Cubs preview. I know I spent a lot of time on this Bulls game, but let's spend some time handicapping the Cubs and the Pirates tonight at the friendly confines. Can the Cubs finally get into the W column after their two losses to the Rays? We'll discuss next here on the Chicago CityCast presented by Bat Rivers. Baseball is here and Bet Rivers has a special offer for you every single Saturday throughout the entire season. Place a three-leg, same-game parlay of at least $25, and you will earn a $10 free bet. With same-game parlays, you can combine player props and game bets to help you make your perfect combination. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Claim your offer on the BetRivers app or go to BetRivers.com. Not valid for any participant of the Illinois Gaming Board statewide voluntary self-exclusion program. Must be 21 years of age or older. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem, crisis counseling and referral services can be accessed by calling 1-800-GAMBLER. It's 1-800-426-2537. Let's take it to the diamond now, folks, here on the Chicago City Cast, presented by Bet Rivers, as we've got a Cubs and Pirates game to handicap tonight. Now, as I'm recording this, it's about 10.30 a.m., and look, the Sox have an afternoon game, so probably not worth getting into it, but I will say I was pumped to finally, finally, finally have our Dallas Keuchel first five fade come through. Yes, two games postponed. Two times we tried to handicap that game here on the City Cast. Trusting Bieber in the first five and the Guardians minus 140 on the money line. Fading Dallas Keuchel, who's looking like a middle school travel team pitcher right now. And it finally came through. What, they scored like seven runs against him? I don't know what it was, but I almost even forgot that they were doing a doubleheader and that they were pitching him again. So last second, I got it. And I looked at the score, I'm like, finally, it is paying dividends. Thank you, Dallas Keuchel. You are Mr. Automatic Fade from here on out. I mean, you've been that way since last year, but still, we hope you don't get DFA'd or anything like that. We want you to stay with the White Sox, buddy. You're making us money. Keep it up. Um, the Cubs. Let's talk about this game with the Cubs. I got a huge crew of friends going to this game, so might have to be obligated to bet it at that point regardless. And just from the fact that they are playing the Pittsburgh Pirates and the Cubs right now, at Bet Rivers, laying minus 159. Sizable favorite. Pirates catching plus 135. Total is at 8.5. Run line. If you want to take a run and a half with the Pirates, you are laying minus a buck 52. If you want to lay the run line with the Cubbies, you don't want to lay minus 159, but you think they win, you want some value, well, go with the run line and the Cubs plus 123. I'm not saying that's my bet. I'm saying if that's how you're thinking about it. Brutal loss last night from the Cubs. Another poor. Outing from Marcus Stroman, tough to see. I still claim it's bad mojo from Ross taking him out early in his Cubs debut. Complete BS. I was at the game. They lost because of it. Still a sore subject, and it has impacted Marcus Stroman immensely. Of course I'm making that up, but hey, maybe. Who knows? Uh, the Cubs lost a brutal one, like we said. 8-2, to two, final and six. Terrible weather. They canceled it. Cubs had no chance coming back. At least the Pirates come into this game on a three-game losing streak. They got swept at Milwaukee. Most recently, Cubs and the Pirates split two games earlier this year. And yeah, it was the one game Hendricks got lit up and then they responded and won the next one. So this game is, again, it's unique because of this pitching matchup. And when you're handicapping baseball, you're really just handicapping who's the starting pitcher. For the most part, that should be a majority of your handicap. 
Well, Pittsburgh's thrown out Bryce or Brees. I think it's Bryce Wilson, the righty, this year. 0-0, so no wins, no losses. But he's gone 8.1 innings pitched, 5.40 ERA, 5.29 XFIP, a whip of 1.56. He's allowed nine hits and five earned runs. So uh, he hasn't been good, that's for sure. Ground ball percentage, just 38%. Again, you want that over 40, close to 50 if possible. Home run to fly ball ratio, 18.2%. League average is 10%. No bueno. So he's gone about 4.0 innings pitched in both games. Was against the Cardinals and the Nationals. Last year against the Cubbies. Started two games against them. Eight innings pitched total. Allowed 14 hits. Six earned runs. Cubs had a 400 batting average. Wilson went 1-1 one one against the Cubbies. Different team, but still like to take that into account. And then for the Cubbies, you got Mark Leiter Jr., who looked brutal in his Cubs debut at Coors Field. Tough environment going against the Rockies. Uh, yeah, tough is definitely the word you can use. Only went 3.1 innings, allowed five hits, seven earned runs. Yeesh. Four strikeouts, four walks. And, well, now he's got an ERA of 18.90. Yeah, that's why you don't take ERA into account too much. I get that he was abysmal, but 18.90 doesn't really uh, indicate what he actually is at. I mean, that's why we go to the XFIP, and it's 5.85, which is still terrible, and of course shows how bad he was. And his whip at 2.70, that is incredibly terrible. Babip, batting average of balls in play, is at 400. League average is 300. 26.3% left on base percentage. Yeah, you want that in the 80 percentile. Home run to fly ball ratio, 25%. Remember, 10% is league average. So terrible outing for Mark Leiter Jr., no doubt about it. And it looks like the wind could be blown out to right field about 11 miles per hour as of this moment. Batting splits. The Pittsburgh Pirates hit a little worse on the road, 608 OPS. And against righties, 655 OPS. Well, the Cubs, oddly enough, have been hitting worse at Wrigley Field, 690 OPS, compared to 845 on the road. However, you know, a large sample of that was four games at Coors Field, the hitters' ballpark, so that's going to increase those stats. Against righties, Cubs, 750 OPS. They're better against lefties, 815, but still 750, very respectable for this Cubs lineup. What about the bullpen? Bullpen ERA, Pittsburgh, 3.12. The Cubbies at 3.04. I completely missed this, actually, until I was just looking at this. Well, because I was so just enamored what was happening in the Bulls game. But the Cubs, they do a swap for Jesse Chavez to the Braves for Southpaw Sean Newcomb. So this is interesting. I think they gave the Braves some cash considerations as well. I mean, Jesse Chavez, what, two years ago was great. Arguably one of our best relievers for the Cubs. And, well, he hasn't been doing too great thus season or this season thus far. And you get Newcomb, a former 15th overall draft pick, was a top 25 prospect. In his first full season in 2018, you know, he won 12 games, 3.90 ERA, and then followed that up with a 3.16 ERA most recently in his mostly relief work, which is about a year later. But he's got a career walk rate of 4.8 per nine innings, so not too great. Um, Chavez has been in the league for 15 years at this point. I guess I could get the stats to compare really quick. I was just reading this article. I was hoping they'd have more about it, but they didn't. So I'll do the old research myself. Uh, Jesse Chavez, again, like we said, he was doing decent with the Cubs. What was that? Maybe 2018 at this point. Okay. I thought it was more recent. Um, but anyway, so 5.2 innings pitched for Jesse, 6.35 ERA, XFIT 4.23. Yeah, I mean, look, he 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 wasn't doing too good. I know he blew that game when they took out Stroman that I was just talking about. So, yes, I'm a little salty, but he's always seemed like a good guy and it had his good outings. But thanks for your service, Jesse Chavez. Could have done more, but, hey, you're not our problem now. But now we got Sean Newcomb on three games this year with the Braves. Apparently he was or he got DFA'd, right? That's what, or he was about to, and then the Cubs snagged him, whatever it was. And... So he's gone five innings pitched, uh, 7.20 ERA, XFIP of 5.72. So, yeah, great from Sean Newcomb. Now, look, Sean Newcomb's a younger guy. It's someone you could turn around and good to get another lefty 
in the pitching rotation. And and that's really the issue here, too, with the Cubs that we've stated. I mean, the pitching depth and just the pitching strength in general. I'm not so sure what limited amount of guys can carry this Cubs team throughout the bullpen and just the starting rotation, but you definitely need more pitching depth. And let's just say, for example, the Cubs are in competition to get into the postseason and compete with the NL Central. Well, you'll probably get them investing in some pitching as we get toward the trade deadline. That would be the assumption because that is what they need. So let's hope Sean Newcomb can be a good piece. And let's hope he can contribute enough. Yeah, so there was a DFA involved, but it is kind of peculiar to see it so early in mid-April. But yeah, so Newcomb was designated for assignment this weekend by the Braves. So that's kind of how it got started. But yeah, need another southpaw in their bullpen. Give Newcomb a change of scenery. Maybe it'll, maybe it'll do him well. Who knows? I've seen it happen before. You also got to consider we're still still missing out on Wade Miley and Alec Mills. Not that Alec Mills is moving the needle, but Wade Miley has the potential too. So Chavez, yeah, maybe not here for the long haul. Probably not going to miss him too much. Let's hope for the best with Newcomb. That's the newest stuff out of the Cubs and their roster acquisitions. But what about for this game? Again, the line movement's been going toward the Cubs. And I get it. I mean, 132, now up to like minus 159 at Bet Rivers because it's the Pirates and the Cubs are due for a win here, especially at home. Nice weather. But again, like, you know, do you trust Mark Leiter here? And you don't want to completely overreact to what happened at Coors, but man, I mean, I, I don't want to lay that much trusting him, even though it's against a AAA team potentially in the Pirates. We'll see how they pan out over the next couple months. Maybe wait to end game, or if you want to bet the Cubs pre-flop, folks, I suggest you probably do run line instead of laying that much on the money line. Like, I'll lay a decent amount on the money line if I have a lot of confidence, meaning, like, I bet the Mariners last night minus 148, thought they were a great spot, but I don't want to lose a bet because they only win by one. But if I, I mean, obviously, if I have confidence in a team, but then they're like a $2 favorite, well, I don't want to lay that much on the money line, so then, yeah, I'll... If they're that big of a favorite in the first place, they should be able, when they win, to cover the run line. So I'll take a better price on the run line. But I'm not very confident the Cubs will win. I think they will win, but I'm not, like, running to the counter to do so. So I wouldn't lay the minus 159 at that point. I would invest less, meaning I would do or look for a better payout. So I would get the plus money on the run line and hope that if they win, then it can be by a few runs. Because more often than not, look, when a team wins... It's not going to fall on one more often than not statistically. I'm not saying this game can't or won't, but over the long run, a big sample size, it's not going to happen that often. But again, this one, I'm I'm not completely shocked with the line movement. I'm just, I guess, a little taken back by how much and how significant. I'm sure you'll see a little bit of buyback on the Pirates. I guess TBD on the lineup, so we'll see. Suzuki, by the way, how about Suzuki's? He has now reached base in all 12 games to start his career, setting a franchise record. Batting 387, four home runs, two doubles, 11 RBIs, 13 walks. He's got a 565 on base percentage and an 840 slugging percentage. Wilson Contreras saying he's the best player that I've ever played with, to be honest. His plate discipline is insane. Everything that he does on the field, the way he takes care of himself on and off the field is amazing. Wow, high praise from the heart and soul of the Cubs. The guy who played with Javi Baez, Chris Bryant, Anthony Rizzo. He's going nah, nah, nah. This guy's played for like two weeks, best player I've ever played with. Wow, that speaks volumes coming from Wilson Contreras. I get you got to gas your guy up, but hey, he's not just spewing BS just to spew it. I believe him. Sayers looked fantastic. Let's hope he can keep it up. I don't think I'm going to get involved in this game, like I said. If anything, if it's like close or the Cubs are down one, kind of getting into their bullpen, and I'd probably look to live at the Cubbies. But yeah, minus 159, you're not going to convince me. Uh, total runs at eight and a half. It's a little bit of shade to the over minus 118. With the wind blowing out, that's probably where I would look to bet it. I'd bet the over, if anything, in this game. Nicer weather today. Bleachers should be getting after it. If the wind's blowing out, you'll probably see a decent amount of runs. But that's the only way I would approach this Pirates and Cubs game. I'm sure I'll have other baseball action. About to get into all my research and handicapping for rush hour tonight. So we'll go more national. 
Get some bets there. Get some bets in the postseason. Check it out. 5 to 6 p.m. Central Time tonight, folks. At Danny Burke 5, you can follow me on Twitter. Enjoy the Bulls win while you can, folks. Enjoy it. We don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. We'll be back to preview more of it. We'll keep our fingers crossed, and we'll hope for the best. Until then, enjoy the games tonight. Best of luck with your wagers, ladies and gentlemen, and take care.